Okay, we're here, Everyday Ordinary, with my buddy David Jones. And, uh, you know, we met we met at a faith and work meeting, I believe, probably right after I moved to Fort Wayne or got back home and uh, over at Utopian. Mm-hmm. And we hit it off pretty, pretty quick. And you reached out one day and you're like, hey, man, if there's anything that comes up that I can jump in with, I just want to serve. And so our first hangout, I think, was in a basement, <laughs> just slinging stuff. Dude. And uh, and it was, for me, that was a big moment because a lot of folks have told me they want to come and serve. They want to be a part of our city. They want to wade into the the neighboring that's available to all of us. But rarely has anybody shown up. I mean, just reg- like that, that changes perspective for me when somebody talks about it or is about it. And I mean, your life is a, is a story of you've had to be diligent. You've had to be faithful in a lot of ways behind the scenes when nobody knew what you're really doing, whether that's your sport life or in business now or even in politics. And so, um, you know, one thing I, I want to just say, hey, would you would you give us a little backdrop, a little backdrop? We don't uh-huh. go go deep, deep. Just so people can get to know. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, I think you can start wherever you want. Okay. As much as you want people to know about you, you can you can let that out. But you've got a beautiful story, and and part of it is getting to behold. Like I know you on the backside of of your story for that first thirty some years, and so I get to enjoy who you've become and who you're becoming. But some of the some of the way that got you there, you know, some of the stuff. Wow. For one, dude, um, you haven't texted me again to come serve, dude. So I'm kind of <laughs> upset about that. It'll happen. It'll happen. Please do. Um, I don't know, those moments, man, where you're with community and um, you're just working. Mm-hmm. I think um, there's a lot of folks in our community that are working. Um, and then um, you're not always a part of it. So being a part of it is, is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool. Me, dude. Ah. I was asking myself this uh, the other night, why am I, so my mother shared a story with me uh, and my brothers were like a little group text. Yeah, um, She shared a story with us yesterday morning that she got into work early. She she works for a bunch of community schools down in Delaware County. And uh, um, she just got in, some guy called her and was highly upset, cussing her out, calling her all these horrible words that if I was there and he was doing it <laughs> in front of my mother. Yeah. It wouldn't have been good. It would not have been good. I would have to call a city prosecutor and, you know, call in a few favors. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, not saying those favors would have worked out, but I would have been. At least trouble. tried. You would at least try. But she she, she maintained um, her peace mm. and um, she treated this man uh, with dignity and respect, even though he wasn't presenting that to her. And, um, you know, the, the phone call ended not, not so well in her message that she sent. And then she said, like, a few moments later, he called her back crying and apologized. Wow. And he says, I, you know, um, I felt so convicted for how I treated you that I had to call back and apologize. That's beautiful. And um, my mother, when I'm trying to figure out why I'm, I've been hurt by my a lot of, by a lot in my life. And, you know, I want to go rip people or things to, to shred. Right. But uh, I don't. And I I, I, I I attribute that to my mother and the peace she instilled in my life. Because when I was a kid, I was, my daughter presents this now. So I pray over her often and with, with her. And, yeah. But that spirit of anger, mm-hmm. she 
prayed so much over me when I was a kid that it's instilled, it was, it's instilled in me to this day. So um, I attribute kind of how I look at life with my mother. And then my, my father was a pastor, so I grew up in the church. I, um, God, man, you know, so I was that kid, man. Uh, I would come to church. Uh, so I would clean the, the I, would, I, was, I was the one that cleaned the church. Okay. And uh, I would get there Saturday night, uh, clean the entire church, sweep um, a vacuum, uh, the pulpit, and make sure the lines are just perfect on the pulpit. Like you're mowing that carpet? Yeah. Okay. That was me, dude. <laughs> um, so when I sat on the front pew for church, man, I'll look at my lines. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a crazy story. But yeah. I, I loved, um, loved, loved being in the presence of God and worshiping. That's always been who I am. Mm-hmm. In our in our group uh, group meeting uh, yesterday, uh, a gentleman in that group meeting had referenced that um, his childhood kind of put his mindset on a pedestal, like he was a he was yeah. on a pedestal. And um, I think that's kind of how I ultimately evolved. It's got me a lot of trouble because mm-hmm. I, I I judge people, mm-hmm. I judge myself harshly and other people. But uh, I love being in the presence of God. Um, as a young kid, we went to church camp. I mean, just envision. I know Chris is going down next week with some kids yeah. to Florida. As a kid, man, you're like nine years old, and uh, for a week or two weeks straight, you're 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 praying, you're worshiping all day. Mm-hmm. That 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 foundation, I think, has really gotten me through a lot of storms in life, and that, that's pretty much. Yeah, there's there's a patient endurance in your life. You know, it doesn't doesn't necessarily make sense if somebody knows you deeply. Um, but there's a grace in that, right? Like maybe it shouldn't have turned out this way, but it has turned out this way. It's, it's made you who you are. Church camp for me was always a place, you know, my parents had me going when I was a little kid. Middle school gets a little funky. You know, it's like, it's like hookup land where you're like hanging out with Jesus and then looking for, <laughs> looking for your lady. I don't know if that was for you, but that was where my first kiss was on a mission trip. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it was weird. I was a little... It was 13, 14. I was a young, I was a young, I don't know, man. I, I liked, I love like, I don't know. I, <laughs> <laughs> as a kid, I, look, man, I tell a story and I'm comfortable telling it to the, to the, the you know, your audience now. Yeah. When I was a kid growing up, dude, I, um, you know, my thought on like sex mm-hmm. and all that was, um, you know, you only have kids when you have sex. And, and you know, in, in my in my world, you don't have sex before you get married. Right. Um, I did not, you know, go through with that. Yeah. <laughs> but when I was a kid, dude, I you know I you know I was like, ah man, um, I want like ten kids because I want to have sex ten times. <laughs> <laughs> I was that yeah. kid, man. Yeah. I was that kid. I mean, even though you know you're you're this popular kid and everybody thinks you know, you know whatever. Uh, I was celibate. I, I you know, as a young kid. Yeah. Um, so. That's funny you bring that up. Oh, no, man. I thought I lost my virginity on my first kiss. That's how innocent <laughs> I was. I was a mess. Oh, man. That's funny. I was a straight mess. Uh, came back to my guys. and was like, dude, I just lost my virginity. <laughs> They're like, wait, you just had sex on a mission trip? I was oh, like, bro, God. I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm a mess. So, but I, I know that, so church is kind of the foundation. Your family instilled that in you. And then sports has been a massive part of your life. Uh, even that discipline continues today. I mean, Ball State, playing ball, being a captain for four years, right? No, I just captain my senior year. Okay, yeah, but yeah. starter all four years. Yeah. No, I didn't start my freshman year. I, I played, I mean, I lettered, um, but yeah. 
It was, but it was a time of your life. I mean, you loved. Yeah, loved weirdly, football, I um, I do love sports. I enjoyed high school more than college. Believe really? it or not. Um, yeah. What was the What was the difference in your enjoyment? I I think uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Probably because my last two years of college, um, so I, I had you know a, a big a great beginning experience. I made the right decision. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we went to um, a bowl game my freshman year. I played, um, I played a lot in our bowl game against Rutgers. It's the game that Ray Rice broke the rushing record on. Oh us. wow! Um, led the team in tackles for a loss that game. My sophomore year, we were, we went undefeated. I led the team in tackles for a loss that season. As a little sophomore, probably two hundred ten pounds wet, soaking wet. Uh, but then our our last two years, uh, our head coach left. Um, I had four different position coaches. Um, it, it was it, it, it was an experience that, that gave me a really bad taste of, of what um, what the wrong coaching, the wrong influence can have on not just yourself, but a, a group of folks. Um, so, but, but in high school, man, you, you're free. You have no responsibilities. Um, and we won all the time in high school. We always lost in regionals at Dwinger, which sucks. Dwinger? Yeah. Um, <laughs> they were ripping people up back then, man. We had a competitive games both times, dude, uh, but uh, it just didn't work out in our favor, which sucks. I bring yeah. it to everybody I meet here in Port Wayne. If they, especially if they have roots in oh, Dwyer, yeah. Yeah. you know. Oh yeah. So you played ball, and then um, I think there was a pl- there was a plan for the NFL. Was yeah. I mean, th- and that took some time to unra- unravel, maybe unwrestle that I out think, of your heart. Uh, <clears throat> I think, well, I know uh, it's not talked about a lot because a lot of folks are are um, on that pedestal mm-hmm. that we brought up last night. I don't know why that statement that he made hit probably, you so hard. Probably because it, it, it's who I am. Um, yeah. But a lot of athletes grow up on a pedestal, mm-hmm. even if they're humble or whatever. I mean, I, I don't even remember making my school schedule in college. Wow. Um, it was all, everything's done for you, food, um, everything. Um, so naturally, and that's why kids today are so spoiled at that level. They don't know how to do anything. Yeah. Um, but a lot of, um, when all your life you've, and everyone tells you scouts, recruits, and they, you're going to make the NFL, like that's kind of like, mm-hmm. but when, and when it doesn't happen, mm-hmm. uh, and you have no backup plan, um, I'm I'm confident I went through like a, de- a very de- depressing period of my life that um, was prolonged that I'd never really recognize. And I was talking to a few other of my teammates mm-hmm. about this, and everyone went through the same thing. Oh wow! Um, and I think it happens more than than people know um, of athletes: volleyball, swimming, basketball, whatever that the sport is. If you play at a high level. Uh, it's 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 difficult when it's no longer there and you expected it to be there. So that was a, a tough moment for me as I reflect on it. But um, it, it's made me, um, it's helped me become more mature and able to talk to young young athletes, young young men, young especially young men. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you. Um, when I when I spend time down downtown and hang out in homes and especially one man, you know, he, he talked to me and he said, can you help us get our kids out of here? And 
when sports is one of the only ways out. Um, and it really isn't because a very small percentage, under 1%, way under 1%. I don't know the statistic, but it's not favorable. And so, you know, I asked him, I said, well, what are the ways out? And he's like, um, sports, maybe education, military was another option. But realistically, uh, the quote of the streets got me is a is a regular rhythmic quote um, for athletes. You know, I'm, I know one man, he's a good friend, was playing ball, um, who's going to play ball for USC. And um, his quote, streets got me, man. And so, I mean, there's a, at least in the NFL, there's a lot of, I don't know the percentage, but it has to be 70% of those those athletes don't really enjoy playing football. So even though you have a talent, your passion may not be aligned with that talent. And the difficult things is growing up in, in an environment where you, you're not exposed to other opportunities. You fall back into, you fall back on your foundation. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, when the scripture talks about building a home on solid ground, that's life, dude. And um, a lot of uh, young, a lot of younger men, I'm talking to men because I, I think we need to invest more in our men, especially mm -hmm. our young men. They're not given that that right foundation. <clears throat> Usually, that foundation is, you know, when I grew up, you know, you and your uncle was a drug dealer. Yeah. I mean, most young men they just want to have a nice car, to to pick up the the pretty girl in mm -hmm. and take her to a nice dinner or something. And um, what they see, who they see doing that is normally um, someone doing something not healthy in their community um, or the pastor <laughs> in, in my community, you know, yeah. pastor quote, you know, pull up in a nice, you know, Benz or Lexus and, but they, they will see what the pastor is doing behind and, you know, behind the doors, behind the, when he's not inside, when he's not on that pulpit and they're like, I don't want any of that, man. Um, yeah. That's an interesting statement. One of the first homes I went to was a, a young 34 year old woman on hospice. She was dying of cancer and I got asked to mow, I signed up to mow the lawn. Her mom said, would you pray with her? I said, yeah, absolutely. And so I get to sit on her bed. Um, she's on a lot of morphine. She's got three kids running around her house. And, and this again, like this is my first three months back in town. This is part of some of the rhythm of, of Mandy and I's life for our whole marriage. But now I've got this freedom. Um, I'd been a pastor for all these almost two decades or more. And um, it seemed like the freedom to love my neighbor, to love the body had complexities tied to it because of my title. And so here I'm now like serving at NeighborLink and have this freedom to go wherever, you know, to pivot to the things in front of me. And what could be just a mowing job for a woman who can't mow her, her yard right now turns into sitting on the, the hospice bed in her living room and I'm talking little kids up to 16. And so you think about, you know, all the different phases of life those kids are in differently. And her sister was there and uh, she said, uh, oh, you're a pastor too. We haven't had a pastor come over. And the statement was, we don't know any pastors that aren't sleeping around on their wives. And that was the statement, like, that was that was a, just another download for me that's not 
It's not a generalized truth. It's not everyone. Um, but they didn't know who to call. And they said, well, one of our one of our family members is a pastor, but he's not living the life. And so um, I'm not saying I'm perfect, man. I'm, I'm stumbling through this life too with everybody else. Yet there was a, a disconnect on on what it means to be a pastor, they knew that there was something different than what they were seeing. That's heavy, dude. <clears throat> Especially knowing my story and the statement I made with you and the group, like our community group, and um, I thank God for community group. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a, a, a male figure in my life that hadn't cheated on his on his wife. So growing up, I made a covenant with myself: I'll never cheat on my wife. But then it it, it becomes difficult when you have marital problems and I went through divorce and I didn't have anybody to really turn to. Yeah. Lean into. I mean, even in revelation, six of seven churches were corrupt mm-hmm. and, and we judge, man, we, yeah, us, us humans in, in, in our current state, we, we judge harshly uh, and we don't forgive. And, um, I didn't, I didn't forgive. And by not forgiving, I had no one to, to turn to and talk to about, a difficult moment in my life. And that's why there's a heavy load on, on leaders in our community. Because normally, from my perspective, normally, um, if you're if you're growing up in an environment um, when the only route that, that people tell you out is sports or doing something that's not healthy to your community. And, and the one good thing that's supposed to be good is bad. Right. Like you're gonna you're gonna always not always, but normally you you got to go back to that um, environment, that foundation you talked about, and that's why I stress for um, for leaders to, to live it, to live it, because mm-hmm. you have to live it. And right now, at least when I grew up, the leaders didn't live it. So a lot of the folks that are in my age group, or you know, a few years like forty and from thirty to forty, mm-hmm. um, maybe forty four, forty five, we don't really lean on the church because of that, because everything we that saw, disconnect. everything yeah. we saw was like. Uh, the pastor would get up and talk about this, or the leader or elder would come up and talk about this, but they're all doing the complete opposite. Yeah, man. I think that there's a season that we're in now where people talk about deconstruction, defragging, decluttering their life, whatever the D word they use. And, you know, uh, I think pastors don't know what to do with that. It feels an, a, like an offense to themselves, right? Like how... Like, I'm still here, man. I know one of the things that my wife and I would talk about when people would leave the church was, it must be nice to be able to leave. We've still got to stay here and be faithful. And so we had people in our living rooms that would be like, we love you, we're in, and then never show up again. So I think that there's this, this un, there's a, there's a piece that needs to be healed in leaders of not taking everything so offensively, right? So personally. But the reality is, is that there has been a lack of practitioners in the preaching world, in the leading world. And so whether that's politically or spiritually, and, and I think leaning to, to the spiritual leaders of our community, as they go, a people go. And if we're preaching one message and living the counter message, especially this 30 to 40, but the, the generation, the, the millennial generation on the, the cusp of that 30 and the Z, I think they're just looking for authenticity. They may not know where to look or how to look or even where they're looking isn't that beneficial as as one, as Jesus Revolution said, they're looking for God in all the wrong places. 
But to be offended about them leaving, to be to be upset that they're leaving rather than to do some reevaluation of our lives. Like, well, maybe what's the disconnect for all this deconstruction? What's the disconnect for all these people saying, I don't want to show up to Sunday? Um, or I don't really value your leadership anymore. Um, we'll go a long way into to changing maybe this conversation, man. Because there's, you're right. There's a lot of folks that don't trust the leaders of our churches because we haven't shown ourselves to be trustworthy. It's a hard truth to accept. Yeah. At our core, we're humans. Right. And there's a reason why we ask for forgiveness. But when you ask for forgiveness, you have to um, accept that there's something you've done wrong. Right. And um, as leaders, when you're on that pedestal, you don't want to accept you've done something wrong. Right. Well, one thing you said, man, earlier is uh, we're just so judgmental on each other. Yeah, like we're looking hard. for each other's failures. We're celebrating each other's failures in our culture. Um, that could be any topic you want to talk about, but we are just so quick to. Yeah, it bothers me. Um, I don't like it when, you know, we, we immediately um, celebrate some, so what, like Will Smith. Yeah. Uh, he did something, but he, he was on that pedestal, right? And for some reason, uh, the, the folks that we elevate, we love to tear them down, no matter who it is. Uh, the president, the former president, speaker of the house, your your, your pastor, people love to gossip. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like being a part of it. Right. Which is unfortunate. That you don't like to be a part of it? It's unfortunate that you don't like to be a part of that gossip. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you the don't situation like to be a part is unfortunate, <laughs> and I don't like to be a part right, of it. Right, I got you. Because I, I, I feel like our, our, our eyes are on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, so I coached football as well in, in Phoenix, Arizona, Paradise, Hallett, Paradise mm -hmm. Valley School Corporation at North Canyon High School in Scottsdale. And um, when, when you coach a kid who doesn't know much about football, you try to get their focus right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why in the new system of, of sports or football, if you can move the offense around a lot, you can take that undisciplined safety mm -hmm. or linebacker. Mm. You can take the undisciplined eye off of their purpose or off of their alignment yeah, or off man. of their, their, their job for a split second. And that, and then that split second is a touchdown. So I, I think as, as Christians, as folks of faith, um, when we, when we judge, when we, um, celebrate someone failing, we're taking our eyes off focus. And, it, and I don't like, I don't know, I'm, I'm judgmental, as I mentioned before. Um, but I wish we wouldn't, we wouldn't. So quickly. Yeah. Lose our focus. Yeah. I mean, and especially with what's going on, we were sharing some scriptures before we turned this on. And there's this, this sense that God's like, hey, man, return to what I've said. The stuff I've been saying for a really long time, there'll be rest for you. And the next statement was, but they would not listen. And I've sent people to lead you, to watch over you, to protect you, but you won't won't heed them. And we were we were trying to process a little bit that the the human plague is that we think things will get better doing it on our own our own way. Um, that discounting God will be a fresher way, uh, a newer way. But in the process, we see culture crumble, communities crumble, neighborhoods crumble when we discount the simple words of God, like the simple ones, 
Like, man, I have rest for your souls. I really want to bring rest to you. Nah, bro, I'm good. I got, I'll find my own rest. I don't think that we're saying we're good. I think um, the the chaos that has um, transpired in our lives, it's hard to get away from it. Like if you're a single mother and, you know, you got three kids, um, either the father leaves or dies or, or is in prison or he's not, he's not present. Um, mom and dad and family structure, they're either sick or can't do it. You know, you, you want to pray. You, you maybe do pray. But um, the realities of it is, is that I can't pay my, my, my rent. I, I didn't pay my, my rent last month and I can't pay it this month. Right. Um, those realities are very difficult um, for people to, to, to see the good in, in things. Um, like your, the lady you visited who was on dialysis, you said it's, it's hard um, for people to see the goodness in life when, when they're regularly seeing heavy, heavy things. And even this, even in these three months, it almost got emotional. You hear about a woman committing suicide, double homicide. She kills her son. She kills herself. Uh, you see a woman step out in front of a, a semi and killed herself, and she's not even 50 yet. Some of my really good friends, they, they've lost their their younger sibling, who's only not not even 30 yet. And he or, you know, he may have two killed two two young children. Um, I don't know. It, it, it things seem a lot heavy for a lot of people, so it's really hard to 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 keep focus. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I think that that's the. <clears throat> Which is why I think we need more community. Right. Because a lot of folks are going through it alone. Yeah, man. I mean, and let's camp out here for a minute. Because uh, this is something we talk about all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it's a joy to talk about it and learn from you and dream with you. Um, even thinking about you getting emotional about those three different circumstances, the shootings that have had this week and the pivots that we make in our culture, that this is is not just this week. It's every day all over the place. You know, yesterday I checked on a friend, one of the most athletic men I've ever known. Tank of a human, uh, jujitsu coach, who when I would when I would be learning with him, he would choke me out 10 times in a row the same way. And I'd be like, bro, can you take another shot some other way? Do something different. He's like, my coach would never go different until you figure out how to get out of this. I'm not letting you out. And... um Man, there's there's so much precious learning from this man. Well, you know, a handful of months ago, he has two strokes. He's in his 30s, and, uh, and now he starts a new treatment from another another disease. And um, heavy is everywhere. So I think that context is helpful when we wade into people's lives. I think often we may be, because we don't look and listen, to what's going on in someone's life. We just have quick judgments, right? Um, I tell people all the time, when they see a house and it's disheveled, our quick judgment is call the neighborhood association or call the city. And the reality is that outside um, bustedness often is an indicator of some inward need. And behind the door is probably something that's super heavy. Our president and some friends went and served a, a woman she had two foot of grass in her yard and 
and the people on the left and the right were groomed tight lines, you know, it looked like a stage and, and, uh, nobody had touched it. And so you, you find out behind the door is an elderly woman caring for her mom and hospice and her, her daughter that's disabled. So we don't know. I think one of the beautiful things about NeighborLink that I'm learning and growing in is that behind the door is a, is a real story of real humans. And so when you think about, uh, the heaviness that people are carrying, the conversation of our city, specifically Southeast. What are the, some of the some of the ways that you you see the heavy, but also are are saying let's press forward in these maybe ways? I see people working in the background. Um, that work hasn't manifested itself just yet. Um, so I'm excited about seeing. Or, or helping harvest, you know, helping harvest that. But it's, it's going to take a community to harvest it, is my thought process. And um, you have you have leaders, you with NeighborLink, Amos at the YMCA is doing a really good job, and other folks. Um, there are churches that are wanting to pour into it. Um, but my, 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 my thought on it is it's very difficult to help someone who doesn't, know they need help or knows how to value help. Like you could walk into someone's home and you're coming with nothing but goodness, but, but they've only, they've only, the only thing that's happened to them is bad. Um, so I think it's going to take more of the community to do it. I think Uh, you learned too, you learned on your campaign trail, what was behind doors. People weren't used to, to someone showing up knocking and, not just giving them a pamphlet. Oh, especially Southeast, dude. And especially Southeast. You'd wait in there and you're you're having people weep with you as you listen to their story, pray over them, get to know them. They're they're not used to real relationship. I, I think I think people don't don't know that people care about them. And um if it's me or you or um I think not everyone, but I think if you're not doing something during your day, so let's say you have an hour um, of time, just go knock on a neighborhood's door and say, you know, I am, you know, you know, my name is Eric, Eric my name is David. I'm just here meeting the, meeting the community, um, you know, learning about the community. You can make up whatever story you want to, to get them to tell you, but Hey, what, what do you care most about? Um, with your family, your community, have them and just be quiet and let them tell you. You'll be surprised. Um, I, I ran a political campaign um, coming off the, um, you know, coming out of the, the era of, of Donald Trump being president, coming out of the era of COVID, George Floyd, Mr. Aubrey. People are triggered and they're hurt or they feel pain and, and they feel hurt. And, um, the only thing that throw stones at is your politician and they don't have their politician. No one comes and knock on their door and I did and I'm wanting to be their politician. <laughs> yeah. But I think opening the question about what they care about, where they, where they're most passionate about, I think disarmed them. Like, well, what are some of the things you heard? Because I think I had a buddy on a couple of weeks ago and he just said, people need to know that they have value 
they don't know that they have value. They maybe have never been told, hugged, held, invested in. And so what were some of the things I'm really big on, on people hearing in our town? It's why it's everyday ordinary. It's what are the things we're bumping into? What are the stories that are being said? The people that we're meeting along the way that inform how we care, inform how we invest, inform how we dream. Because if the people aren't telling us, if our, if our neighbors aren't telling us, then we're just shooting blanks. I think I can sum up a lot of my conversations with people just want to know that these folks that are making these decisions that impact their lives cares about them. And that's really it, dude. Most folks don't know the sauce that goes into how, how bill becomes a law. You know, they're not, they're not in caucus. Um, caucus is um, in state and lo- in federal politics, even local politics. You have, um, you have a two party system. Normally, if you're independent, you caucus with a party of your choice. And in that caucus, there's a lot of debate, right? And out of that debate um, comes a presentation of how they're going to handle a bill on the floor or something. A lot of folks don't know that that debate comes out of a place of caring. Um, they, they just see the end result. And by the end result, they're reading some headline, you know, Ron DeSantis hates black people. Yep. I don't know Ron DeSantis. I don't think he hates black people, but the point is just that they read the headlines. It's not safe to go to, if you're black, to go to Florida or, um, you know, you know, this politician hates someone who's gay. This politician hates, um, uh, same sex marriage. Yeah. Um, but they don't, they don't, they don't, but they don't know that person. They only normally tagline. And normally when you know that person, and you've had a time to hear their thought process. So I had a friend who told me, look, I, don't, I would never voted for a Republican before in my life, but I vote for you because I know you care about people. Yeah. I, so I, there's a lot of things people talked about, but I think that was the biggest point that, wait a minute, this guy, he didn't come to like, like sell me something. I didn't come with talking points of- Three promises that you're going to accomplish. Yeah, because you... that, that's not how it works. I was right. being honest with Right. I, if I were to win, I was going to be a freshman representative in a body of 100 people. Yeah. Now, um, a value that I had was that, um, uh, I mean, I, I have a perspective on what I want to accomplish, but the value that I have is that I, I have the cell phone number to the Speaker of the House. Yeah. I have the cell phone number of these leaders on these committees. Um, so the likelihood is, um, I would be able to achieve an agenda more efficiently mm-hmm. um, than my opponent uh, because he because he was in the minority of the minority. He's probably a good person, um, but it, it, it'll be a, a seat there that's not effective. Yeah, um, and I was willing to at least push a narrative um, really around economic development and entrepreneurship and, and and be a part of discussions and policies that drives opportunity for folks who need it most. And, and create a, a position to where um, more problems are solved within the community mm-hmm. structure um, than the government structure. Uh, the government is an efficient tool. It's, it's an inefficient tool, but it is a good tool. I, I, I came from where community solved our, our yeah. pressing problems more. And when you, when you don't have the community, um, 
someone would try to solve a problem, you know, well, that guy doesn't know me. Right. Or she doesn't know me or he doesn't know me or you know, he thinks I'm, he doesn't care about black people or white people. Right. You don't know them. But it, when you're, when you're pastor or your lead deacon or your community person is helping you solve something, you know that it may sound critical at that moment, but you know that they care about you. Right. So I, I, it's a long winded response to what people are talking about. I think ultimately I can sum it up as most people just want to know that someone cares about them. Um, especially if you're taking care of a sick, uh, a loved one that's sick, all you're doing is exerting your energy on, on, on something and you're not getting anything in return. Right. Your kids are coming to you. Hey, daddy, can you buy me this? Mommy, can you buy me this? Mommy, my friends are doing this. Can, can I go to, or you, you don't have enough, um, enough disposable income, to, you know, to take your kids on a nice dinner or something or take your kids on spring breaks coming up. Right. I grew up where um, we didn't take spring break vacations. Right. Right. All my kids are going, all my friends are going to Florida. My mom took, took that uh, tax refund and paid our private institution payment, um, a private school, private school payment. Um, so we didn't have spring break. Um, so most people just want to, someone to look and like, look, I care and not say it, but like show it. Mm-hmm. It was interesting too, like just different backdrops. Spring break was the normative for us. And so you grow up thinking, well, when you get older, everybody's going to be gone during spring break. But the reality is the majority of people have never left their home. And um, I think another misconception that I had was July 4th was a big day for us to go to the lake or to go to the watch the fireworks. But on the Southeast side, that's a, it's one of the most dangerous days of the year um, is, is what, is what folks told me. And I was like, man, I have no reference point for that reality. Um, And so I just think that, that many people, when we talk about how we care, if we don't know them, if we don't get to know them, then we have a very small soundbite of understanding uh, a generalization of culture or ethnicity. I think, um, race has been used as a divider, um, whereas we should be eager to learn people's ethnic background and cultural backdrop. And to learn those means to to know how to love you. Um, uh, without those, though, I have very little context, right? I'm just going it's hard, in. hard, man. It's, come on, most people. So what I do for a living is I help people. I'm an advocate for people as well to help them retire. And I get to know a lot of people in a very intimate space. And um, people are 55, 60, 62. They still don't know what they want to be when they grow up, dude. Right. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I mean, I, I, have, I have thoughts around it all. But um, if, if we can just show people that we care, I think a lot a lot more could, could get solved. Because um, we all live in our own little bubbles. And, um, and we're, we're, we're working nine to five or, um, nine to five, then, you know, six to, to, I don't it, people are, are in their little bubble trying to provide for their family. And, um, when you pop that bubble, it's really disruptive. <laughs> I think, um, during COVID and in, in the lockdowns, um, when, when George Floyd, was murdered at a forum that we all saw. Um, 
I think that pops a lot of people's bubbles and it trigger a lot of people and people don't like to be told that you don't care about me because they're like, wait a minute, I don't, for one, I don't know you. And two, I do care about people. I just, I don't know you. Like, I don't know. Right. People don't like feeling judged um, and they get really defensive when they're being judged. So now there's this, this big push and pull when you don't know people and then people are forced to show that they care. And I think that's, really dangerous to the system because it's, 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 it's um, if you do something that is monumental and it's not out of good place of mind or heart, let me look now, a lot of companies are firing the diversity and equity inclusion um, associates. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think it was genuine. I think it was a response to show, wait a minute, I do care. Here's this gal, here's this guy. Versus truly getting to know a community, a family. Uh, yeah, hopefully we can Hopefully with being present, such as NeighborLink, um, being consistently present will will help change that narrative. And it, it's not gonna happen in a month or two months or quarter or two quarters or a year. It's gonna, it's gonna be a, like a decade process because it's been decades to build up to where we are at. Yeah, and I think not to generalize the, the narrative, right? It's like, I think when people think of we we've, we have a generalized narrative that goes throughout our nation or our community of what black people are, what white people are, of Hispanic or um, Asian or African. Like we have we have generalized information sound bites. Like the 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 DeSantis statement is like he hates all black people, but that's a generalized statement of our sound bite that might have been said and shared, and now everybody believes that that's what Ron is versus we really don't know. And so when we then generalize uh, ethnicity. People come with with a very narrow view that is very wide in the making. And what I've learned, man, is when I sit down with people, if I ask them questions and really listen, there may be a common thread. Like they all want to know that that we care, but there's a different backdrop for everyone. You know, there could be one woman that I sit with who's never had a white friend, and another woman that I sit with or man that I sit with that says, man, I've had white friends my whole life. Um, I, I don't know race or racism in the way that, that people are talking, or I do, it's, it's killed my family, man. Like we've been ravaged and plagued and isolated and in a cycle of poverty. So getting to know people as they really are, where they feel safe enough to, to speak the truth that goes on behind the scenes, the heaviness that's going on behind the scenes. And then when we see it do something, I think a lot of times in our culture, we have people speaking and writing and throwing pictures all, all up on some forum, whereas there's a massive di- disconnect between hearing and doing. You know, we, we, we see something or we hear something and then we, we might write or talk, but not do, you know? And there's a lot of conversation about race, sexuality, parts of towns, and I think, you know, you know, what would you say to someone who is motivated, burdened for such things, but really doesn't know what to do? They don't know where to go, how to serve, how to get involved. Call my friend at NeighborLink. <laughs> <laughs> I would do what I mentioned before. Um, if you have downtime during the day or the weekend, go to a neighborhood. And just start knocking on doors, introduce yourself and say, hey, you know, my name is David. 
Uh, I know you don't know me, um, but I really care about our community. And um, I want to find out ways to where I can make an, a positive impact in not your life, but your neighbor's lives. What are some ways, what are some ideas that you may have? And hopefully they'll tell you. 10 out of 10 people won't, probably won't tell you. I knocked on one guy's, one, one guy's door. Because uh, now they have those, those ring doorbells. Yeah, right? I can see so you. I was talking with a lady about what she cared about. And um, this, guy, this guy was, I guess, listening or whatever um, on the ring doorbell, the video camera. I, I felt bad for the woman, actually, come to think of it. But he was, he was like, he started cussing me out <laughs> on his ring. I, I couldn't even respond to him. Like, he's on a camera, dude. Yeah. And uh, I felt bad for her because he said some other things. But um, so not everyone will receive yeah. you, but more a majority will. I think a lot of people are afraid of of the no and or uh, not a great response. But I think that's kept us fearful and and unwilling to take the shot that we know we're, we're made for. At the end of the day, community changes by community being involved. Um, lazy leadership is is some person with a personality or prestige or power doing the work for us, believing that, you know, government leaders, spiritual, religious leaders, community leaders are, are beneficial in, in some ways, but they don't take the place of my, my personal responsibility or culpability in, in seeing a place that flourish and my neighbor being loved and my street being changed. Like we can wait for somebody else to do that, which means we're, we're waiting for nothing. Um, and, and I really, you know, I know one of the things that you and I talked about is, is I keep bumping into single moms, grandmothers and great grandmothers. we have this little dream that someday we're going to step into that. And and we've started stepping into it, but the the real dream is lifting the arms of these single parent homes, grandmothers and great grandmothers who are raising kids on fixed incomes that are living heavy, but but being faithful in the meantime, and their mortgages and repairs and needs often are way beyond their capacity, especially if they're isolated. Yeah, I. Uh... This is a deeper conversation. Um, <laughs> I envisioned a world, a community, um, a community within a world where um, the church um, did things that were not uh, ordinary. I'm hungry, so I'm up. Yeah, it's all right, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what I mean by that is... <clears throat> You know, if you have a, a, a church congregation of um, 100 folks or 200 folks, um, every year, you know, with the blessings of leadership and elders and the pastor, um, the church pays off someone's mortgage. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty sure if the church started doing that, that church would grow rapidly. Um, but not only mortgage, but, um, you know, at, at some point education, um, at some point providing um, childcare, um, early childhood learning is a, is a major issue in the state of Indiana. 
um, when it, when a child is born into kindergarten, um, a lot of a lot of single mothers, single families, uh, can't financially support um, to pour into them the things that they need at that age, at that early age. Um, <clears throat> but if, if the church could, um, either someone driving someone to and from, I grew up where the church we had had a daycare. Um, community was strong, dude, back then. And, it, and we weren't perfect. I, tell, I, I shared some some things that our church was not perfect then, but we did have a community. And, um, you know, there's so much, um, there has been so much money that flows through the church. Um, and, you know, we're, we're sending mission trips to whatever other country, which is beautiful. It is beautiful. Um, but our neighbor can't pay their mortgage. I mean, I, I read that, um, <clears throat> The, the presidents, and I'm not, I pray for our president. I don't, I'm not that kind of person. Um, but they're, they're paying for the pensions. And I haven't, I haven't, so maybe I shouldn't say this because I, I haven't verified it. But um, we're, we're sending a lot of money to other nations. Um, when there's people in our backyard, Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water. Um, it, Indianapolis doesn't have clean water. I mean, every major city has lead in their pipes. We've just coded it, so it's different. But um, so I referenced that back to the church. That man, we, we we want all this outreach. We want to do all this stuff, build bigger buildings, and that's beautiful because you want to have a temple to, I guess, praise and worship in. But I I I, I see building temples in people's homes versus another structure, another building. And I think I think the church has kind of missed missed that step. And, yeah, man. I mean, it, does that make sense? What I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. So you and I have talked about this a lot. The so the the tabernacle was a tent that was movable. God's spirit dwelt in that place from spot to spot as they traveled through the wilderness. Later on, they built a temple. It was blown to bits. Um, hasn't been rebuilt. The New Testament is that God would dwell in the hearts of, of men and women and that the temple would be now on the move again, but through individuals. And I think that somewhere along the way, we've hunkered down with the idea of we need to keep building temples when we need to invest in the temple we've been given, which is each of us. And so if I see somebody else's temple struggling, wrestling, it's got holes and cracks and the foundation shaking, I think we are meant to, to step into those places. And to your point, if the church would step into the big boulders in the shadows of our cities and our communities, uh, I believe that Jesus would be seen and treasured again. Um, and so so I, I have a mad burden. I don't care if the money comes through NeighborLink. It's not about uh, us having a big budget so that we can say that we did something. It's simply bringing to the surface the needs of our city and our communities and our neighborhoods. And if if the church were to step into those places to what you said, um, I think it would grow because of the, the connection between what Jesus, who Jesus is, what he said and what the church is doing. And they go, wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, over an overwhelmingly majority of churches uh, don't reflect the teachings and the scripture that they're preaching every Sunday. Um, so if I look <clears throat> most 
We gotta get you a burger or something. Well, <laughs> man, I gotta go in like ten minutes. Most most people. So the uh, I forgot the quote on you know my one of my favorite Christmas movies is Santa Claus. Yeah, and Tim Allen and like seeing is believing for a lot of people, and they haven't seen. They haven't. All they're seeing is negative. Yeah. They haven't seen something positive. And and if word got out that I'm going to be selfish and say Northeast, Northeast um, is paying off a family's mortgage every every month or every year, or um, Northeast has um, early childhood paid for, and they're fully staffed, and um, you know the kids ain't eating. Uh, kibbles and bits they're eating steak and lamb chops <laughs> yeah yeah um i think naturally people will flock to that because that's how it was back in the day um and if you can pay great if you can't pay it doesn't matter um it's not about the money it's about community and we're trying to help build healthier homes there there's obviously you can poke holes in any situation um people will abuse any system um but let let the bad actors, let the one or even 10% abuse it. Yeah. But let's impact these 90% of people that we're missing out on. Anyway, I, we we can go with this all day. I, th- I think the church um, c- can replace a lot of what the government is doing. Yeah. And the government is a good, it's a good tool. Uh, we need our roads. We need our bridges. We need our firefighters. We need yeah. our public educators. We need safety and security domestically and internationally. So yeah, we should definitely make sure that the, the government is, is solvent and, and, and healthy, um, but not on the backs of the church. I agree. The church has, has, has gotten, well, I don't want to say that because there, there are a lot of good places where churches are just exploding and there's a revival I see happening. Yeah. Um, but the, there could be something we could be doing, partially you know, argue for these not-for-profits to, to start investing 10% mm-hmm. of their foundation money in the, in the communities um, versus, you know, the four or 5% that they're doing. Yeah, man. Well, I, I know that you and I are going to wrestle that out over the years to come uh, because I think that, that we both not only have burden, I think that we've listened to stories, whether it's personal stories or it's ones that we bumped up into at front doors or throughout the community and if the if the church does and as she does step into these places you know many people will say that's just social justice it's empty of the gospel but i think we need to remember that jesus did very practical ministry for three and a half years um, when he saw people that were outcasted or isolated or left alone or captive or blind or poor he waded into that and to to your point a little earlier I think a lot of people are worried about people abusing systems, but the whole reason Jesus came is because we had no answers to solve the brokenness inside of ourselves, And he didn't wait for us to get it right. He didn't tell us to clean ourselves up. He didn't say, well, you do all this work, then I'll save you. The point of, of rescue and saving is that I'm unable to do it myself. And so we have this Jesus who, who joyfully left his throne and ran to the flesh to walk perfectly so that we could be you know reconciled and made new. And so instead of waiting for people to get it right or if they're going to abuse it or not abuse it to run into the fire. I believe that we are 
Christians are made to flourish under fire. And we've been, we've been afraid of fire for way too long. Well, under the pressures of fire, gold yeah. is made. Diamonds are made. So I, I'm not afraid of a lot of things, but I am afraid that, um, so there's a, there's a, um, not a parable, but there's like a story of a, of a let's just call it a man. Mm-hmm. who um, has gotten news that his city is, is going to be flooded. It's, it's going to be flooded. Mm-hmm. And um, the rain starts coming, and he says a prayer, Lord, don't worry, God's going to save me. Yeah. Right? And um, now over time, um, a, a person with a lifeboat comes by, a helicopter comes by, asking this guy, hey, get on the boat, hey, grab on the ladder so we can get yeah. you out of here. And the response is, his, no, God's got me. God's going to save me. Um, obviously, at fast forward, the guy dies. Mm-hmm. He drowns. He gets to heaven. He's like, Lord, why didn't you save me? He's like, man, bro, <laughs> I, I, I sent you two lifeboats, a right. helicopter, and you, no, nah, you need to be here, bro. Like, mm-hmm. I'm afraid that God has come by. Mm-hmm. Jesus has tried to return. Or he, he passes by. Let's, let's go. And we can't hear him, right? Um, because we're so focused on this, this idea that we have. Well, you said earlier, the distraction. It just takes a split second of distraction. I think we're extremely distracted. And um, <clears throat> I think it's per- I think it's very important that our leaders get their focus right. Yep. It has to. I mean, naturally, throughout time, you haven't had a, a, a whole flock of leaders. You've had a leader and then you have a flock, right? Yep. Like we mentioned shepherding. Um, we need our shepherds to get aligned yeah. with, with, with their faith, with God, with the principles, um, so that when, when Jesus does come, um, they hear his voice and they bring the people with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid that maybe he's come, dude, and he's like, well, I called out to y'all, but nobody got on the lifeboat. Nobody did. So I think the more, the more our leaders stand up be willing to be hit with a stone be willing to be criticized humble themselves before the lord and their flock i think better things will will come of it i'm hopeful at least um so well man thank you for your time i know you have you have to get to a phone call and i have to get to a lunch meeting i do dude but i have a lunch meeting too okay well at least we're both gonna get that growling sorted yeah Yeah. i may try to get some early morning tequila (laughs) in me or something (laughs) (laughs) but i'm super thankful for you man and and the brotherhood and friendship that's been developing and uh the fact that we can shoulder up for the city so thanks for making time hey i'm still waiting on another text hey david i I got you i got you you. okay peace bye Patiently waiting for a knock on